Hello everyone, I'm Becca, dietitian by trade, mom 24-7, wife from the start, and when there's a few extra hours in the day, you might find me hitting the trails or on horseback. And I'm Kara, a therapist to women, a mom to a boy, an entrepreneur, mountain junkie, and a postpartum runner. And this is Fit for a Queen, a podcast that's devoted to the female athlete wanting to balance the teeter-totter of all the things we desire out of life as women. Performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self, even if we only get one minute out of the day. We're so excited to be bringing you the queens in the athletic world who have done just that. Okay, ladies, take a seat at your thrones, grab your crowns, and welcome to Fit for a Queen. Welcome back, queens. We have a king in the house. We have Andrew. Andrew Dole is the owner of Body Fuel SPN, a sport performance and lifestyle nutrition practice in Castle Rock, Colorado. So Kara's already drooling. Colorado's her happy place. Um, specializing in endurance athletes and weight management. An active triathlete, certified executive chef, and triathlon coach, Andrew manages clients around the world combining nutrition science, behavior modification, and culinary expertise into powerful life-changing nutrition interventions or sport performance-driven plans. A graduate of Metropolitan State University of Denver and earned a master's degree from K-State University as well as a degree in culinary arts from the Art Institute of Colorado. Andrew is also a published sports dietitian on the topic of exercise-associated muscle cramping and works with a variety of corporate clients, cities, sports clubs, and community health initiatives. In addition to public speaking and private practice, Andrew has taught culinary and nutrition at the college level for over 10 years. Welcome, Andrew. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, oh, we're excited to have you. Um, I kind of view Andrew as one of my go-tos because um, we're big science nerds, and he is one of those that will put it out there and debunk. So that's one of the reasons why um, we wanted to have Andrew on. So I'm curious just how you guys uh, two know each other. Is it just through the sports dietitian world? Yeah, LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Man. Social media, it's like your your BFF next door. That's you've right. never met each other. <laughs> like minds gravitate and those that don't are compelling because you want to know why they think what they think. So you it. can't exactly. help but connect. I love- I yeah. love that opinion. All and right. you can't grow and get any better if you don't listen to two sides of the coin perspective. So, mm-hmm. and that's Amen. something I'll, I'll talk about kind of. Um, well, no, actually, let's jump into it, Andrew. So, okay. recently there was an article that was posted that was talking about kind of how fuel, food can be just as powerful when it comes to fuel and that potato can be performance enhancing. And of course, I posted it because I'm like, oh, yeah, look, people, you don't have to buy fancy supplements. And you were like, well, um, that's great in theory, but, and then I, I said, okay, I want to hear your side of it. So can you kind of share with some of the listeners your practical science-based um, rebuttal? Yeah. So the article was actually saying that potato starch or potato was as good as a gel for um, for endurance sport. And this was particularly cycling, which is very different than running. As we know, running is harder on the GI system. And for example, in triathlon, like we're really trying to maximize food intake on the bike because it's easier to digest. When we get to the run, that food intake is going to (laughs) stop. And so when we look at that article that got posted all over it, and you weren't the only one that posted something about it, 
it doesn't really work that way. It's great in theory, but what missed or got missed, and I think the bottom line was, is the quantity of potato that was actually necessary to get in the amount of carbohydrates someone would need. And so like a gel or a liquid sugar fuel is a very small amount of actual volume for a large amount of fuel intake and carbohydrates, pure sugar. But a potato is not that way. And so you have to eat quite a bit more, but you're also not just getting the sugar. You're getting fiber and you're getting uh, protein and depending on what it is, some fat. So it's not isolated in sugar. So in order to get what you need, like the 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour, or 60 grams to 90 grams per hour, depending on what it is, like those are kind of nice guidelines to orbit around. And they work very well. When we start adding whole food into that, now we're increasing volume. And I think everyone would agree that when you're exercising at even sub threshold, like 60 or 70% of your VO2, like eating is not on the top of your mind. And then if you go into like a harder effort or let's say a longer effort, three, four, five, six, seven or eight hours when you're really taxing that GI system, Mm -hmm. like sitting on all that solid food is not awesome. So uh, I published a five or six fact a little series on Instagram about whole food and like sport performance fueling how we want to use engineered supplement products and whole foods together to maximize fueling, not rely on just one. That's where I think the science fell apart. They Mm -hmm. did like logistics and reality. And also I'd like to say, so like I did a 50 K this year training for a 50 mile ultra and carrying sweet potatoes in my back was not, (laughs) you know, like if you're going to do a loop, like, okay, like a 10 mile loop, no problem. You could stop and refill. But I was doing, you know, 12, 13 mile out and backs for a total like 20 something. Like you don't want to carry all that. It, logistically, <laughs> it's not. And then we have a food safety issue, right? And so, well, actually back to the weight. So we, we would buy the, the lightest vests. We get the lightest um, flask, the soft flask. We got the lightest shoes ever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so we can reduce all this weight. And everybody wants to we have this race weight, which is wrong, but we do strive to be lighter. Sure. Right. So we can go faster, but then we want to carry, you know, water soaked potatoes or <laughs> solid food. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like, no. I don't see that. And it doesn't and sound then, appealing either. To eat no, it. no, like it is kind of nice to change once in a while. But I have to admit, like I, I was all sticky. Like I, I carried sweet potatoes for a while because I really wanted to try to move it in. And then it was like on my face and then I'm super sticky and then my hands are dirty. And I'm like 13 miles in the woods with with the amount of water I need to drink, not wash my hands. And you're like, this, this just isn't working. So, um, you know, that, that opinion was, was born of like practicality experience working with athletes, you know, especially in triathlon. Look, food safety is an issue. Like food, food cannot be left out for longer than four hours. It really shouldn't, especially any foods that are potentially hazardous. And, and that's not a term they use in the food service anymore. They've changed it to time temperature control because potentially hazardous like, oh, we don't really need that food. But the reality is that food has water activity or water content. It has protein um, and those things will allow bacteria to grow. And when the pH is low or high, I should say, when we don't have a lot of acidity, there's nothing to curb bacteria growth. And so if you have a potato or baked or wet food like rice cakes, Alan Yim, I mean, I love the guy, but you're not going to run with these rice cakes or pack them in your over, you know, your, your, uh, carry on bag for, um, 
a triathlon and have them sitting in the heat for four to six hours and not think you're going to get some type of food poisoning. So like there's another practical issue that's sort of like in a lab when you're getting tested, fed puree, sweet, but in real life, does it work? No. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the reasons why um, we're going to kind of focus on the, the dairy is, you know, Kara and I both work in the eating disorder realm and then also like the sports and performance. And so I, I never want to try to usher my athletes one way or the other, but mm. thinking practically like, okay, if you are 16 and you're doing three to four hours of activity a day and you've already had three stress fractures, how are we going to make sure that we optimize and get enough calcium? Or how are you going to be able to get enough alternatives in? So as the sports dietitian side of the hat, how do you incorporate dairy into your athletes' plans or if they don't want to do dairy, how do you work around that? Yeah, I think you just nailed that right there is how do I incorporate it is one, are they open and receptive to it? Like, are you drinking and using dairy products now? And if so, great, let's continue to do that because it's an incredibly valuable source of protein, vitamin D, calcium, carbohydrate. Um, and Oh, and by the way, it comes in liquid form, which we know for athletes who have a declining appetite, like, and I say that being competitive athletes who are training hard, and you know this, the act of training that hard actually suppresses the appetite. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like the average, I don't want to call them weekend warriors, but you know, they run three times a week or they go to CrossFit, which nothing against CrossFit, but that will rev up the hormones and they do get hungrier, but real five or six day a week, you know, eight to 14 hours of training per week can really suppress an appetite. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get those calories in and liquid form is ideal. Mm -hmm. So I use it as much as possible when they're open to it. I ask the question and it's on one of my sheets. Like, do you have any food allergies? And then what is your food tolerance and belief system? Like what's your, your moral and ethical food choices? Um, to kind of get an idea, are they plant-based? What does that mean to them? Because uh, I just did a video on that. Like that means something different to everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, do they avoid milk? Do they have lactose intolerance? Do they think they're lactose intolerant or are they potentially FODMAP? So I think it's a huge education piece to really follow up why someone isn't using. And then if it's clearly a lactose intolerance issue and we can identify it and it's not FODMAP, like they don't have GI distress from the fruits and vegetables they're eating, um, then, hey, can we incorporate some lactose-free product? Like lactose-free milk is readily available and then still has all those great benefits we just talked about. Um, Yogurt, naturally lactose-free to some extent because the bacteria feeds on it, so it's low in lactose, easy to digest. Um, And then if they choose not to, like I just don't drink milk. I was just teaching a class yesterday, human nutrition, um, and there was some. It was a mixed group of college students mm-hmm. with high school students, and like I don't drink milk. And I'm like, why? Like I just don't like it. Like okay, no problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and so there, your question is, and I have to say, Leslie Bonsi does a really great job of saying, you know what, you don't have to, but what are you going to replace all that amazing stuff with that you're not getting? Um, from the community standpoint. And I think there we start to look at where am I going to get vitamin D? Do we have labs on vitamin D? Should we just supplement with it? Um, You know, calcium comes in all forms. Like, I don't think that's particularly hard to get, but the leucine and the 20 grams of protein and enough calories and fat in a liquid form, like, okay, how do we replace that? Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. a good question working within 
their diet. Like what foods do you eat? What do you like? And then, you know, being a chef and dietitian, we, we plan. Yeah. Great. That leads me to kind of a, our second question. Are you seeing a shift in the dairy consumption um, with athletes that you've been seeing? What's some of their thoughts on it lately? Yeah. So <laughs> as my circle of athletes has expanded around um, quite a bit, I'm going to answer that question by saying it depends on what their belief system is, mm -hmm. because an individual, um, matter of fact, uh, Dotsie Bauch or Dotsie Bausch, I was looking through, I was looking at your podcast and I was looking uh -huh. at the last one and yeah, I was yeah. doing some research on her. Right. Uh -huh. And so you have an individual like that who saw something that turned her away and now has a bone to pick with something or her belief or ethical system, which is fine. Beliefs are great. Everyone's entitled to them. In that circle, and as I have athletes in that circle who are vegan, you know, um, or have issues with industry, mm -hmm. they will say, well, none of my friends drink or eat meat. Well, yeah, because you associate in that little community, right? Mm -hmm. And so within a subgroup, you will see, oh, yeah, well, they don't. And then another group where they don't believe that and they're omnivores and they eat everything, like, no, everybody does this. This is just what my entire team does. So I think it's very isolated. I can't answer that question. Do I see a decrease in milk consumption among athletes? No, I see some people less afraid to say they don't mm -hmm. um, within their little groups uh, that they stay in. Um, and others are like, no, I love it. It's great. I don't want to give it up. So mm -hmm. I think it's it's across the board. It's pretty even. Ooh, I love that point. I'm always preaching about like, look at the culture. So that's a great question to ask. Like, okay, within your realms, do you know of other groups that consume dairy and why? So kind of getting them out of their their versus their running group yeah. or like yeah, training yeah, yeah. group. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> One has been I've heard, okay, we're we're not meant to drink milk because the only time we do that is as an infant, so why would we drink milk from a cow? Oh gosh. I'm not sure the dairy councils if they ever hear this are gonna uh -oh. appreciate my answer. But <laughs> I have one and I give and I just gave this yesterday. So this is awesome. Okay. So Perfect. let me I'm gonna ask you both ladies some questions. Okay. So I uh -oh. want you to name me a mammal that has put themselves into space. Oh. Just give me a number. A mammal. Zero. Human. Humans. Yeah. Humans. Exactly. And uh -huh. any other mammals that have put themselves into space? Did they put out? Did they send a monkey? Up but there? I think uh, we not. Did, that. did they? We sent oh, them. We the know. monkey didn't send okay, themselves. Okay. Uh huh. Trick okay. question. Is us again? All right. It is a trick question, right? Okay. So zero. <laughs> us again. So how many mammals or animals do you know use cell phones get dressed drive cars have refrigerators yeah that's just us that'd be kind of terrifying right it's just us so right and so if we believe that as humans we should do what other animals or mammals do then stop doing all of those things or run around naked don't drive your car and chase your food around outside <laughs> because that's the argument you just gave me right yeah. we're humans so why do i drink milk because i can like I've seen where even piglets have nursed on dogs before or another cow will end up taking on another calf. They so right, yeah, right. I mean, they yeah. even you don't hear that very often. Do you? That was a great <laughs> example. You like, we're the only mammals to do that. We'll hold on a minute. We can cross. <laughs> yeah. So we're humans. That's my answer. Yeah. All right. The next one, dairy increases inflammation. Therefore it impacts an athlete's ability to recover. If you're not allergic to milk, if you're not allergic to casein, whey, or the lactose, no. 
it's not going to cause an allergic reaction or systemic inflammation. And in fact, there are great studies that show dairy reduces inflammation, mm -hmm. especially in certain groups that have metabolic disease. While that's not an athlete, it still shows that it's possible to have a beneficial effect or an anti-inflammatory effect for milk, not the opposite. Okay. So, yeah, and that's up there with phlegm. Like, if you want to just jump in there with that one, we're like, you know, <laughs> does milk, it. yeah, does milk no, cause I've mucus? I've heard that. That when oh my goodness. people are sick, they'll decrease milk because it increases phlegm. <laughs> yeah, right. So, <laughs> so no. And I have to laugh. And, and this one I say, I say this laughingly. If you, if someone believes that milk produces phlegm, they're not allergic to milk. They're allergic to facts because <laughs> there are no peer-reviewed scientific literature journal, period. There is no literature, and it's been tested to support that there's a physiological function that milk helps or increases mucus production. Now, what can occur, and this is really reasonable, is that the viscosity and the way the suspension, the hydrocolloids, the protein, and the fats are suspended, that emulsion in the milk is thick and viscous. So if you happen to be a snotty person because you have allergies or you know you have phlegm from a, an illness you're getting over, um, or you've just worked out, and you know how when we go out and run, we'll get the like, sticky yeah. phlegm stuck mm -hmm. to the back of our throat because we're like incredibly dehydrated. And you drink milk, I'm like, oh, my God, this feels like funny. Yeah, because it's stuck to it because it's thick and heavy. Uh -huh. It'd be no different than if you had a bruise on your leg. It's like, yeah, I kind of know the bruise is there. But until I come up and kick it, you know, you're not really aware. <laughs> right. And that's where I think milk gives people the perception that it increases milk. I think it makes them more aware of what was existing, but it has no science behind it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. All right, one more. Okay. Dairy can interrupt athletes' hormone levels, impacting their muscle development. Go. Yes. Well, we have decades of very successful gold medal Olympians who have drank milk and beat everybody else. And mm -hmm. so I'm going to say that their muscle development is not at issue. I think, I we think have... you just mic dropped. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. You know, and so, no, like, no. That is not the case. I think it's quite to the contrary. We find again that, you know, milk has a great leucine content. And from a science standpoint, what what makes muscle growth, lean body mass, that mTOR signaling pathway, which I don't want to up jump your questions, <laughs> is is leucine. Like mm -hmm. that is an incredibly important amino acid and milk and whey have a ton of it. But that's one thing I think people need to understand is like foods will have some of these complete packages. And so you don't need to go buy your separate branching amino acids, your separate leucine, your separate, you know, you can get this from dairy. And so that's why I was asking if whey protein continues to be the superior protein. I have seen a trend in my practice where they're, they're starting to move away from it. And I'm like, why? It, it has stood the test of time in research and continues to be superior in turning that pathway on. So for listeners, that's the main pathway that generates new muscle synthesis and growth. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So that signaling pathway, the mTOR is a nutrient sensor. And so when we take in um, amino acids, 
it signals like, hey, let's start building or recovering or turning over. So we often think about lean body mass or muscle synthesis as only like I'm going to build my quads or my biceps. It's really not the case. It's it's muscle tissue, period, all through the body. And our body is turning over muscle tissue consistently every day. And when we're an athlete, we're just causing that breakdown to be more intense because we're blowing up those fibers or breaking them down and rebuilding them and or asking our body to undergo hypertrophy and grow them. And so that mTOR process, leucine and arginine are two really well-known stimulators, those amino acids, to help turn on that switch, kind of like a light switch, like, hey, it's time to start processing you know, this to create lean body mass to repair and or recover. When we look at whey protein, is it still the gold standard? If we can pair whey protein to whole plant foods, I'm going to say yes, because whole plant foods typically are not rich in leucine. Um, there are some peanut butter, soy, tofu, almonds, lentils, but comparatively speaking, you have to eat about twice as much to get the same amount of leucine that you would in a milk product or an animal product, for example. Okay. So like whey protein. A good example of that is soy milk versus regular milk. An eight ounce glass of milk has one gram of leucine and 120 calories. Well, soy milk has a half a gram of leucine. So you'd have to drink twice as much at 105 calories. So you'd almost double your calories to get that same leucine content. Hmm. And if we look at our other non-soy based foods, it's, it's pretty much the same, right? I mean, we have to take hmm. that into consideration. Like science says, sure, you can eat enough plant-based foods to get an amount of leucine, but can you really, I mean, we're talking, I mean, your primary audience is female athletes who their appetites can be large, but compared on the median, they're not as large as a male who right. can eat more food. Um, like some, some of your athletes at five, four, five, five, some of my athletes at five, four, five, five, like their calorie bucket just isn't that big. They don't have the body mass. And so to eat that much food is incredibly difficult. And I'd like to point out that like with some athletes that we have orthorexia and we have like overcompensation of trying to eat too healthy. That is actually a thing with female runners and, and male runners mm -hmm. is like eating all of this salad, which is good for them, but there's no fuel in that. Yeah, right. Like there's not enough carbohydrates. There's not enough protein. There's not enough fat, but they're full because they ate lots of fruits and vegetables, which sure. doesn't leave room for these other quality foods mm -hmm. that they need like that fuel. So, Back to the question, is whey superior? Whey protein is, in my opinion, a gold standard and a quality use supplement if we're looking at whole foods. Now, if we take a look at vegan or vegetarian supplement powders that have been specifically designed to include all of the branched chain amino acids and have a good leucine profile, then no, I can't in good faith say that at all because there are some great vegan protein products out there that are blended specifically to match whey. And in that perspective, I have to say, well, if we're looking at whey content and that's what we're really worried about, then either will work. But they're also more expensive. They don't necessarily taste great. And so we have to look at practicality. Do mm -hmm. you want to actually use that product? What's it mean to you? Where's your belief system? Mm -hmm. Man, it's good stuff. We gotta have to have him on for a second one. I like you come. You come with arsenal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like to say I come informed, and well, and yeah. that's you know it's it's helpful. 
Well, but I think for so many, they just kind of shoot. I should quit using these euphemisms. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. We get kind of slap happy as we do our interviews, but I think so many people just take what they hear at face value and they start to form it as a belief without even being formed. And that can be pretty dangerous um, because then that could lead to, you know, their compromised health or a trickle effect. Of course. And then just the world we live in of like media outlets and constant just information. And you get, you know, an article about potatoes and, you know, um, I think just like our inundation of information, it's hard to weed out what is science and what isn't. Right. It is incredibly. Well, thankfully, there are podcasts like yours who want to at least present information so that someone can make an educated uh, decision. And, and that's mostly important. I don't want anybody to listen to like, well, he said it, so I do it. It's like, well, this is what he said based on this. And let me go find that information and right. see and, and decide. And, you know, social media gives us six seconds, you know, as a as an entrepreneur and business owner like you, we're looking at, well, how do we get in front of our you know, what kind of social media stuff to do? Well, you got six seconds. So like, how do I put all this information in a six <laughs> second blurb? Like you can't. Mm-mm. And that's one of the difficulties of, of it. And you mentioned, I think, as you led into that sentence was context. Like people take something because they've read it or someone else does it, mm-hmm. but they completely of lack the context for which that was used. Mm-hmm. Right. And context is everything, mm-hmm. which... Absolutely. I think if you were to boil context down to a non-scientific term, it would be the individualized needs of the athlete. Sure. Context, individualization. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And what works for them, for sure. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the biggest things I always hone in with my athletes is that, okay, the changes that you have made, are they actually improving your performance? Or did you just see that LeBron James started to do this? So now you're going to do it and now your performance is hindering, but since it's LeBron, but you didn't realize LeBron was doing it because he wanted to improve this on his performance. Yeah. Everybody Mm -hmm. just kind of grasped at straws, but sorry, Mm -hmm. I kind of can get on my soapbox there. Well, you should, because (laughs) you opened up a really great point. I just responded on LinkedIn to someone that I follow um, Rachel Cheatham, she's a really, she's a yeah. PhD who, who I'm saying you follow her too, right? Yep. And she posted something on White Claw. Well, I just interviewed the owner of Bravest Brewery. I stopped drinking two years ago um, because I wanted to. So I haven't had any alcohol in two years. But I do miss like the drinking component and like social aspect and uh-huh. beer tastes good sometimes, right? So I'm, <laughs> I'm experimenting and looking at with my clients and athletes that I find who have an issue with alcohol or that's it's it's hurting their body composition or performance. Um, you know, how can we still enjoy this part of our life but find an alternative? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was telling me about White Claw and I'm like, I don't know anything about this because mm-hmm. they don't drink. And she just posted on it about you know, how someone famous said it made me awesome. And now it's, it's in demand so much that it's, it's, you know, like no one can get a hold of it. Like there's a shortage of this stuff and, you know, Beyonce with watermelon water and, you know, the whole compression sock thing. Cause it happened in, in basketball. Like there's people do these things and they don't really know why. Or my favorite. And then we'll wrap up was when people started wearing those like 
oxygen mask. I remember one time this kid was running by our house and I was like, oh my God. Because he saw like somebody on the NFL and then all of a sudden everybody was wearing them. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Yeah. <laughs> like their altitude training in Missouri. <laughs> yeah. Was it the things that the the firemen use, right? Doesn't it restrict the breath so yes. that it actually causes their muscles to work harder so they can breathe through the respirators? Right. Yeah. So yeah. we need to do that when we're training for our 5Ks. <laughs> no. You know? Uh... Whatever makes you faster mentally like the placebo i don't know you're in the sports psychology like the chicken soup effect is huge right well andrew and all these busy fun endeavors how do you balance out the fit philosophy performance health intellect and taking some time for self um i think it's the other way around um it's 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 all about me and uh what i want to do and have fun so people ask me like what do you do i i do stuff that's fun um i make sure that i compete in in the sports that I want and I go out and I do them because I like to do a thing well. So I make time for me. And then I think everything else, like my work and uh, the jobs I take and the number of patients I schedule are really around what I want to do. But, and I say that, like, for example, like I didn't book any patients on Thursday for the last eight months because that was my six hour running day. That was my long running day. And it was my mental health. I had the ability to do that. Um, but I've also changed my lifestyle to accommodate that. Like I don't, you know, go on vacations every year because I've decided to not work that much so I can do other stuff to take care of me. And I saw that in my wife's health more, more than anything. Um, you know, a a working woman who gets up at 5am and works 14 hour days because that's what she does. And she stays at a place for 13 years and is incredibly loyal. And all I can see is her health decline as she became mm, more professional and Mm -hmm. took higher level Mm -hmm. jobs and she gained some weight and her thyroid, you know, sorry, my wife, like telling all your stuff out there, but you know, she goes and gets her labs done and you know, thyroid's not right. And Mm -hmm. you know, like, Hey, do we have Hashimoto's what's going on? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, you know what it was. It was the change in hormones from a lack of activity and really not taking care of herself. And we changed some things. I mean, Mm -hmm. hell, she lives with a dietitian and a chef, right? (laughs) So we made some changes, goes back and and thyroid is back to normal. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so the point being is that I don't really balance. I'm kind of selfish in the way that I do what I think is important for me. And I'm only going to live once. And then the work stuff, I do what I love. And so, you know, I, I got to make it happen. Like, I know that sounds like, well, I got a family and kids. I got kids and I got a family and, and stuff. And I've made the decision. Yeah. 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 We love right. that. Well, Andrew, it's been a delight. We hope to have you on again. And thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. Hey, I appreciate that. I got some questions for you off offline. You bet. All right. Bye, Queens. Today's episode is brought to you by Yours Truly. I'm excited to announce the releasing of my book, Finding Your Sweet Spot in Sport, Avoiding Relative Energy Deficit in Sport, also known as REDS, by optimizing your energy balance. Be sure to follow me on social media or go to my website, www.beccamacomble.com, to find out when the release date is set and when it'll be on Amazon. Bye, Queens. For additional information on today's topic and guests, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fit for a Queen. Hashtag Fit for a Queen. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. We can't wait for you to join us next time on Fit for a Queen. Bye, Queens.